What if everything you're searching for is already inside of you? Hi, I'm Cassandra Goodman, and I believe that true power comes from staying connected to who we really are at our core. This is a podcast about what it means to stay true to ourselves and why authentic leadership is such tricky business. You'll hear inspiring real life stories from big hearted leaders. I hope these stories help you to remember that true power comes from within. So today on True Power, I am joined by Nancy Bajaya. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for our conversation. So we'll start by introducing you. So Nancy describes herself as a hands-on CEO, which I love. Nancy is a hands-on CEO at HM. So HM is a globally recognized purpose-driven creative agency that empowers bold organizations and brands through beautifully crafted strategic design. HM's mission is centered around being brave, bold, epic, fearless, and adaptable. Gosh, those words give me goosebumps, Nancy. I love that. Uh, And I also love how you describe yourself on your LinkedIn profile. So Nancy says that she is a communications designer, a brand strategist, a leader of people, and a mother of three. Nancy uses strong instinct, bravery, and imagination to constantly strive for excellence in everything she does. And I also love how you credit your intuition as being your secret superpower, allowing you to constantly create impactful ideas and connect with people on on an emotional level. Nancy is also the founding editor-in-chief of Fluro, Fluro is a platform designed to to or dedicated to enlightening a global community of creatives through stories and human experience. Beautiful. I'd love to hear more about Fluro as we chat, Nancy. And Nancy and I recently met here in Melbourne at a sustainable fashion gala event. That's the first time I've been to a sustainable fashion gala event. It was a lot of fun. Uh, And Nancy and I met uh, at that event and had a deep conversation right off the bat. So I'm really delighted to be continuing that conversation today, Nancy, and getting to know you a little bit better. So what, what what more should we share about who you are and the wonderful work you're doing in the world? Oh, well, gosh, uh, where do I start? Well, I have been in the industry, in the creative industry for 27 years. So I do feel like a bit of a veteran, but at the same time, I feel like I'm just starting. Um, So HM is our core business. So that's the creative agency. And we do some fantastic work with an array of clients. And um, it's really uh, deep work in some cases, um, simple graphic design in other cases. So it kind of keeps everyone happy and um, flowing, I guess. Fluoro was born within the wall, from within the walls of HM uh, probably about 13 years ago. It's nothing like what it is today. It was always a kind of passion project, a love project, never made any money, uh, one of those. And um, during COVID, I think that was a really big turning point for me personally I had just had a baby lockdown we kind of had to make all those changes and um, you know we lost a few contracts just out of the blue due to COVID 
not a bad way to lose contracts. It wasn't anything we did wrong. But I realised, my gosh, we do need um, to build something up, something else to kind of keep the balance going. Um, so I started chipping away at kind of remodelling the fluoro business and fluoro has been reborn very recently. And it's a really beautiful um, brand. It allows us to speak to creatives and artists, even scientists from all over the world, um, keeps our creative team at HM really highly inspired because um, we kind of get access to amazing content and images and um, we're speaking with galleries and museums and we are presenting um, exhibitions from all over the world through Fluoro, the platform. So um, what I do, I guess, is solely creative, like design is at the core of every single thing, but I have, you know, the, the commercial side with HM going strong, thank goodness, after 27 years, and then Fluoro being the new, the new kind of passion project that I'm hoping will um, be something that could also be sustainable for my family and my team. Mm, I love that. That I love that adaptability that you described, like living into that value of adaptability that you, you mentioned around your brand. And I love that harmonisation of the commercial and the passion and, and the growth of something new. That's really lovely. It's, it is- uh, and it is, it is a nice thing to be able to achieve when, when things kind of seem a bit bleak and uncertain. I, I think, well, Miguel and I started HM at the end of a recession. Um, so I think it's ingrained in us to just use those moments of adversity to create or find opportunities or well, create opportunities because often we can't find the opportunities, which is why we're creating them. Mm. It, is brave. it is brave. It's how I roll. Love it. I love it. Well, we're sure to add some links to Fluoro in the show notes so that our listeners can check out that amazing platform. Thank you. So, Nancy, you've listened to a couple of my podcasts, so we're going to dive right on into the heart of the conversation today, which is about how tricky it is to stay true to ourselves. And so I want to invite you to share a story or about a time when you realised that you were not being true to yourself. And I love that first question you ask everyone. I think I emailed you when I listened to the first one to say, wow, what an opener. You'd think I would have thought about it more deeply, but, you know, it's not, I, I don't have to think far or look far to know where that's happened because it's not abnormal for us to find ourselves in a position, um, especially a position of leadership where you're not entirely being true to yourself. And I can pinpoint one that's um, really, I feel is really important, an important story to tell. Um, being an employer, and I've probably been employing people for about um couple of decades I think I think we spent our first six or so years just the two of us but um, I I found myself and I think it would be you know seven years ago um, I was running a studio and I wasn't entirely happy anymore so it while it was my business it was my agency it was my brand you know I, I brought these people together I was um, bringing in the new business I wasn't entirely happy and I I kind of looked within. Um, you know, you do that work from time to time or we should, but I kind of tend to do it often and I found that I was conforming to a um, expectation of my industry. 
um, to the expectation of my staff at the time. You know, they they had expectations of what their creative careers um, needed to look like. And, and while part of it is our responsibility, I did feel like it was my obligation to create an, an agency that um, answered to everyone's needs. Um, and it was very much going in the direction of what the industry expected. You know, we were cool. We had the beautiful um, locations and uh, really cash kind of fun environment, but it wasn't, I wasn't entirely happy. I felt a bit shackled to the business. Um, I felt like I was creating a culture for others and forgetting about myself and my family and what worked for us. And, you know, becoming a mother was a huge it impacted me pretty much immediately, but I think um, after a few years of mothering, I realised, oh, my God, I think what's important to me right now has changed, but I hadn't changed who I was in the business, basically. So, And I, did, I don't ever like to be two different people when I'm, when I'm immersed in my work. I am Nancy who I am at home and it's uh, it's the same person. But I did find myself as I was running the business, our core business, HM, I wasn't being true to myself by um, leading a culture that answered to everyone else but me. And it was, a, you know, really interesting. I don't, I don't even know if it was like, a oh, my God, this is happening. I think I realised later once things had kind of organically changed um, certain people moved on organically um, that I realised I was onboarding people a bit differently to what I was used to um, and things were changing and I created a, a space um, that was based on freedom and trust and that's the model that we run with now and it's really worked with the whole COVID thing because um, we're all a dis we're a dispersed workforce now we don't come together in a studio um so yeah that's pretty much it and it wasn't that long ago if you think about it as a woman in business for 27 years it's quite funny you think I'd get it you know after the first 10 but I think my story um having started from nothing really no experience kind of as a you know young invincible 21 year old I've I have had a slow very different journey to a normal studio owner or CEO in this um, realm mm. wow. so I hope that answers your question yeah, uh, yeah it's quite uh, lovely actually to talk about mm. yeah I really appreciate you sharing that uh, and it, as you were talking I was remembering a quote that I love about insight that says something like insight is not like a light bulb moment but a small flickering flame that we have to nurture and I got the sense that this kind of knowing that, wait a minute, the culture that I've created is now incongruent with some aspect of who I am now as a mum was more like the small flickering flame of insight that you kept to nurture and looking inside to f figure out what's going on for me here. Is that, yeah. would that be true to say? Absolutely. A flickering, a flickering flame that flickered for a long time, probably years. And, um, I think it did take quite a number of years for me to then realise, oh, my God, this is where I need to be. And th that's now only well, probably since the last couple of years where I can say, while I've been very, very grateful, you know, I've thankfully, I'm knocking on all the wood, um, 
I feel like I have everything. I've, I've worked for it. I've got the network that helps support that. Um, but, yeah, I... And I, I just have lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, anyway, so... so um, Yeah. And yeah, you didn't let that die. You kept that Yes, thank you. I didn't let that die, and I think um, I I knew there was just something that I just had to work on, and um, yeah, to have that realization that I have finally have true happiness where I am now probably has been like this for a couple of years. It's been a really lovely feeling. But yeah, I think what I was trying to say it's not to say that I wasn't truly happy before, but um, yeah, there was obviously something that just wasn't quite balanced within me Mm. and what I really I mean there's lots of things I love about your story but one thing that strikes me as something that's really special is that you had this flickering flame of insight with that when I've changed I've become a mom who I am the authentic Nancy now is 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 kind of evolved and and I've realized some some aspect of this kind of cool cool whatever it was about the culture wasn't no longer congruent and you found a way to to bring those things back into congruence, into wholeness, into integration, because often we we don't do that, right? We we actually just we bunker down and we we get better at compartmentalizing. Like it's so many people go the other way, which is okay. This this work is no longer congruent with some aspect of self, so I've got to get better at compartmentalizing, armoring up. Um, I've got to work harder. Um, you know, some sometimes it's easy just to kind of continue to split ourselves in that way that that we become the work persona, then the home persona. And I feel like sometimes the longer we live our lives believing that that's what's required to survive, the more entrenched these kind of personas become, and the the harder it is to come back to this integrated wholeness that you have now, where you're the same Nancy at home as you are at work, that you're kind of honoring the essence of who you are in in both contexts like that that's quite remarkable right do you, do you know what I mean about the other of the other possibility here which is just to to create two personas and just find a way to live with that exactly but I do think that when you kind of get to a point like I did where I had that moment where I realized yep okay so this is where I need to be you know it's not to say that I've uh, remained like this 24 7 um I have had my moments where you know, perhaps we haven't had the, the kind of work that we really want to be doing. And and um, I just kick into that mode that where I realise it kind of helped me get out of that kind of first kind of conform state um, that first time. So right now our um, challenge was I'm feeling overwhelmed, um, my role is probably too big and I've got this other brand that I'm launching so I had to make some changes within my life to um, enable that. So I have gone full time for the first time in 13 years recently, just this month. So, yeah, the start of this month. So and again, it was kind of my way of I think I'm in a place where I can now recognize where I'm kind of falling into uh, or down a path where I'm not truly being myself again. I wasn't truly able to operate in my role and I've been able to make that change again so I am kind of in another phase which is mm. really lovely mm, and it's impacting and, and when it impacts and when you can see the change um, you realize that well we do have it within us we really have the power 
to uh, make these changes to ensure that we are operating at our optimum and we can operate at our optimum if we are our true selves. And I think that's why you and I connected immediately when we started chatting at that um, fashion event. We kind of have that same view. Mm, yeah, that this the true power comes from staying tethered to who we are and that, yeah, as you say, we might be off course more than we're on course, but how do we kind of tack back and I'm like doing sailboat movements with my hands? Yeah, yeah. Come I, back uh, yeah. To, to who we really are and stay tethered to that rather than just, I suppose, reach the conclusion, oh, well, you know, I can't be true to myself at work. Work's work, home's home. I just have to live with that kind of um, splitting of ourselves almost. That's exhausting, isn't it? Like, yes. let's face it, it's absolutely exhausting. There's no fun in that. Um, you know, I I just remember that feeling of just having to kind of pump myself up to to walk through the door at, at one point. And, um, yeah, that was insane. It was insane. But, yeah, gone are those days. It's great. Yeah. And so many listeners, so what I'm wondering is other listeners is like, oh, gosh, yeah, I have to pump myself up every morning and I you know I had a flashback as you said that pumping yourself up I had a flashback to a leader once who told me that the problem with with me is that I cared too much and I had to learn how to care less and I think there was maybe a week where I tried that on for size caring less and you know, I remember thinking I've just got to like drink a can of harden up every morning <laughs> <laughs> and, and, is, and is that advice you'd ever give someone to care oh no no I um I Thankfully, there was a point in my career I distinctively remember being told by someone really close to me, you're too nice, you're too kind, you're too generous. And um, it kind of got me questioning myself and kind of looking around at my team and my culture. And then I'm like, no, I can't change. I can't change. That's that's who I am. And again, it's just tapping into what makes you you and it's fine. Sometimes I describe myself as an emotional leader and I'm cool with that. I am emotional and it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It absolutely doesn't. No, we're not robots, it. right? There's this, yeah. there's this great quote, you know, we are feeling beings who think, not thinking beings who feel. You know, we're emotional beings first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we spend so long in, in these workplaces that sometimes expect us to be robots. I actually met someone recently who said that um, that she's in a quite a difficult workplace and her boss actually said at a meeting, you all need to be like Paul. Paul is like just a robot. He just keeps going, going, going. He doesn't complain. We know more people like Paul like who's like a robot. <laughs> oh, my, oh my, God. my gosh. But that's, that's often, you know, these leaders uh, – um, perhaps the same sort of mindset of the leader who told me to care less and that colleague who told you that you're too kind and generous. I think that's a good example of people who've decided that, no, um, I can't be my authentic self at work because at our core we are all caring, generous, kind beings, right? There's there's an abundance and a, and a kindness and a love at our core, but we're kind of conditioned to believe that we've got to lock all of that away for safekeeping or or to be that way at work is naive or um, somehow um, high risk or something, there's something wrong with it. And mm-hmm. so we lock these aspects of ourselves away for so long. And I, I, I speak to a lot of people like this and, and a lot of people have a similar story being told they're too nice, they care too much, they're too creative, they're too innovative, you know, all of these really beautiful human skills that we need now more than ever. There's kind of an old guard of leadership that believe that that actually 
that's too inconvenient or messy or, or something? I mean, what's your hypothesis and why we're being told to lock these aspects of ourselves away? You know, I can't say I've given it too much thought because I can't really figure those people out. And um, I I don't get it. I think um, allowing people to be their true selves and whether it is being emotional and um, wildly creative has its advantages in business or in kind of any situation, let's face it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tapping into people. Um, well, imagining, imagine hiring all of those uh, robot-like people. You have only those people in your business. Mm-hmm. There'll be no creativity at all. Like I think because I'm such a creative person, I can't even understand that mm-hmm. way of thinking. So I, I don't, I don't even know if I have an explanation for it. But um, I know the way we hire, and you know our team will testify. We tap into what their strengths are. We never expect them to behave the same way. We never expect them to behave like us. And I'm saying us as Miguel and I as the leaders in the business. They are. They have their own strengths and uh, whether they are uh, emotional or not, it's fine. Like we've just mm-hmm. got to let them be who they are and allow them to contribute that way. Which is true belonging, right? There's a quote in a book I love um, called Remembering Ourselves Home is a book and it talks about places of false belonging uh, require us to cut off parts of ourselves in order to be to fit in right and that's not true belonging and so I love how you describe that true inclusive culture which truly embraces and has space for all aspects of the people within the organization mm-hmm. I mean that's that's the foundation of cultivating cultures of true belonging rather than this kind of false belonging where we mistake fitting in for belonging yeah oh yeah that's a really good point I mm-hmm. agree um, and I, I think the culture, you know, I can only speak from experience, the culture at HM, while we are dispersed, has never been better because there is that sense of belonging. And it's with all of us, including the leaders and the directors of the company, you know, and it's a really lovely place to be. Mm, yeah. And I'm now thinking about how your story brings shines a lot on the reality that we're evolving beings, you know, that we continue to grow and evolve and change and and that we can find ourselves in in therefore in in a position of incongruence because we've evolved and changed and perhaps our work arrangements or some aspect of our work lives has remained remained static. Um so I'm also wondering like if if there's people listening who who can relate to that like oh yeah I have evolved I have changed maybe I'm clearer on who I really am and the sorts of environments that are going to really kind of amplify and honor that maybe if you go back to those that first flickering flame when you kind of realize oh there's something not right um I forget the language you use, but you you realize that there was some incongruent for you. Like, tell us about how you first kind of tuned into that, and and perhaps just that journey of that that self reflection that led you to the realization that you no, know, you needed to kind of bring bring more harmony um, between how you're being at work and and who you really are at your core. Um, I think I realized that flickering flame existed upon reflection if that makes sense so I don't even know if I was in a I had the ability to realize at that moment kind Mm -hmm. of as I was going along you know um, 
running running this agency it was definitely uh, it took a reflective process for me to realize um so yeah could you reframe that question so I can what are your reflective practices then because maybe that's a nice thing like and maybe it's just that you go for walks and you think or you know how do you reflect and how do you make sense of these inner experiences because also for so many leaders there's not much introspection there's not much self-reflection right because I think sometimes we're scared if we look within and ask these difficult questions we're going to kind of open the can of worms so so maybe we take this for granted when we have these kind of processes of self-reflection maybe you can tell us more about you know how do you create space for self-reflection sounds like an ongoing aspect and given your intuition you describe as your superpower this kind of you know all works together right you're someone who's tuned in inside so tell us more about how you do that and any yeah any any wisdom you can share there well it's this my superpower is certainly certainly um that intuition I nurture every day so it's part of my day my daily I um deep practice deep breathing every day and um I journal every day so those two things um kind of like a, the two things that I do every single day and it allows me to, um, one, I I do focus a lot on what I'm grateful for kind of each day. I, I even have a little um, reminder in my iCal kind of set a few times a day actually, which I actually applied. It was only ever once a week, but I popped it in a few times a day recently because I think there I may have been experiencing a moment where I wasn't as grateful as I usually am and I just needed to see that in my in my iCal every single day or a few times every time I look at it I'd see that um, practicing gratitude um, I do um, I'm always looking to how I can do things better um, and I know it sounds like my god this woman's probably puts away too much pressure on herself but it is my role. It is my role as a leader. I have um, a family to provide for, first of all, but I have a team that I need to ensure that I kind of maintain a sustainable business for. So I am always looking to kind of what happened today, what what could I have done differently and what can I do better tomorrow if I had the the other chance. And I think every every time I approach my work, I do see it as this is my last chance. Like we just never know. It is my we, I treat every opportunity as that last opportunity um, or is it that first? I kind of don't know which one's more powerful, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, making sure that nothing is taken for granted mm-hmm. and that kind of forms my kind of daily practice. It's how I help myself stay on top of things. Um, I make sure I exercise so that forms part of my weeks I don't say I can't say exercise every day I don't enjoy walks and it's so funny because a lot of people do a lot of people love going for walks to think I just if I'm out exercising I need to have an end goal so I'm at the gym striving to be the fittest I've ever been for the my whole life you know that's the kind of thing Um, but yeah I think the journaling and the deep breathing really are the two main things that help me kind of keep in check and um, allow me to ensure that I'm allowing myself that time to tap into what could it be that isn't quite working and what are the changes that I need to make. And that's precisely um, the process I use to trigger my decision to go full time. So I've been very 
content and coping quite well, well, relatively well, um, kind of juggling family and my work, keeping my work to officially to about three days a week. But of course, I found myself as soon as the little ones are down, I'm working all night and mm. it started to affect my health. Like, God, I had one of the worst winters that I've had just copying everything. And I know everyone was sick, but I'm like, oh, this has got to be, I'm not getting enough rest. Sleep is so important. So I knew what I had to do, upping my days and uh, making that decision came from my own reflective processes. Um, mm. Sometimes I speak with trusted colleagues and friends. So I have a very small network of those people. And I'd like to think that our sessions are like reverse mentoring sessions. It's really nice to have those people in your life. And I, I consider that to be a bit of a strategy for life for me um, while I'm sharing uh, my wisdom, just ensuring that you have that those people in your corner that you can, uh, that, that's a true win-win that you can spill your guts out. There's no judgment, but then they do the same to you and you're helping each other. So um, I've been on that end where I've just had the energy completely sucked from me and I wasn't able to give back. I'm at that point now. And I think, again, through my own reflective processes, I'm, a, I'm able to identify those people who no longer belong in my inner circle. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's it's really those things. I love that, Nancy. Thank you for just sharing uh, that insight into your reflective practice because I think we take it for granted when we have these reflective practices but not everyone has that right and um, hearing you describe your journaling and the role it played in in the clarity you reached is really powerful right because the mind uh, our minds are such slippery little suckers right? they are so slippery our thoughts are so slippery and I meet so many leaders who just like stay in that whirlwind of thoughts and you're applying the the model of IFS internal family systems which is the modality that underpins my work that modality tells us that what we think of as thinking is actually the inner dialogue between our many different parts and so whether we're you know spilling your our guts I'm using air quotes you know whether we're spilling our guts in terms of putting out our thinking whether it's on paper in a journal through a conversation with a trusted mentor what that does is let us, you know, see our thinking, get, kind of get a handle on it and and ask the question, is this really true? What part of me thinks that? What part of me is feeling this way? And is that really, really true? And I, I think it's just worth mentioning that here, that these forms of reflective practice that basically get us out of this swirling of thoughts and this inner dialogue and the pushing and pulling and getting those thoughts into some sort of format that we can see it and 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 start to make sense of it, I think is is so crucially important. It's a way of addressing issues, right? And um, I found the journaling for me has come from the COVID months or years for us in Melbourne, where I was so afraid. Um, I had just had a baby. I had a team um, that I needed to provide for and I found myself writing to them once a week, so writing to my team. And, um, gosh, we've got a Slack channel dedicated to these COVID letters. It's actually quite beautiful looking back. It's almost like a journal of I think I kept it up for like 63 weeks or something. 
every single week I would write to my team about um, contracts lost, uh, my intentions for the future. So it was me basically addressing my fears but making it public to them so they were aware and it was almost then making me accountable to make sure that happened because I have let the team know that these are the things that have gone wrong um, and but this is what I intend to do um, and it's I've maintained that but privately now to myself mm-hmm. every time I'm feeling fearful um, I make sure I get that out those those sorts of thoughts can swirl and swirl and swirl and it can affect your health you can lose sleep develop stress um, which causes you know problems on another scale thankfully this is how I manage my stress I can say um, again knocking on all the wood I, I don't experience major stress and I think it is because I address my fears daily in a yeah. journey now no longer to my team. Sometimes I I write to them, but now we see each other more and we're in touch more. So it's a bit different to those COVID lockdown Melbourne times where we couldn't see each other, we couldn't um, meet for a coffee, uh, and it was it was a really nice way to update them while um, being reflective myself and then holding myself accountable to ensuring that we uh, move forward. So mm, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope that maybe there's some listeners who think, oh, maybe some form of reflective practice might help me to Mm. get out of this kind of, you know, for many of us, it's like an inner battleground almost, these swirling thoughts, these parts that that feel maybe in conflict or intention. Um, And it's just this quietening down of all of that through either dialogue with a trusted person or putting our thoughts on paper. There's something really powerful about that. Yeah, and I do find after these conversations I'm writing. So I think the writing piece is a really strong um, part of it all for me. It's what works for me. And it allows you to kind of file file your own mind. And I know there's a a book, it's like a a Bible for me, and I've kind of had it since I started my business, Working Smarter, Not Harder. But there's this one passage within that book that I refer to often, and it is about managing your mind. And, you know, understanding that you don't have to retain everything, basically, and it is up to us to what we retain and and kind of managing our thoughts. And then it leads to how important it is that your self-talk is positive. So we are being conscious of what we're telling ourselves because that can then uh, reflect outward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and we all have kind of an inner judge part, but it's also, you know, changing our relationship with that that inner voice of the critic or the judge. I mean, that's certainly been a practice for me, listening to that voice but and, and acknowledging it but not letting it kind of t- take over. Um, yeah, and, and moving those strong inner critic, which those voices that can be quite nasty for some of us and softening them to more like an inner advisory yeah. role than something that's, you know, a harsh critic inside of us. And that that's that's a, a, a something we can cultivate over time. Definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I find myself training my um, young daughters at the moment, kind of the, the power of that you know, would you say that to one of your friends? You know, my my little one was feeling a bit anxious this morning and she's like, I'm just not smart. I'm like, um, you know, how would that, is that something that you would say, would you say to one of your friends, you're not smart? She's like, no way. I'm like, why would you say it to yourself then? 
and it kind of got her thinking. I don't know if it clicked yet. She's eight. But, um, yeah, just managing that, being aware of, you know, what we say, what, what our inner critic is saying to us, who yeah. are we going to listen to? Yeah. The- and then, yeah, and then for, for, I feel compelled to then share from an IFS model. The trick is not to then ostracise or push away or kind of like um, polarise from that critic. Um, but more to embrace it and get to know it better so that over time it softens and goes from that harsh critic to more of a cheerleader advisor. And we get there through the the lens of the modality I'm trained in anyway. We get to that place where we can embrace all these voices in our heads but but kind of remove their sharp edges. We only get there by embracing, not like trying to silence or push away or suppress I agree. And it brings me to something off topic, but might be interesting. And it's the new doco that's out about David Bromley. And um, David Bromley's a prominent artist in Australia who does not care for critics, like he can't stand the critics. Um, But within the doco, they incorporate the critics. The critics are interviewed and the critics are criticising him. So it kind of talks to your point exactly. Rather than push them away, um, and this doco didn't not include them. It it showed us that the critics do exist, and the critics do perhaps dislike his ways or his work. But it's okay, it's okay, and it did take take um, the edge off. I think um, so. Yeah, that was really interesting. I love that. I'm going to check that out. And yeah, that's beautiful, right? Because those. There's parts of us that are so, are so critical, they're just trying to protect us. Mm. You know, they're not really the enemy. They're not evil. There's this protective parts of us that, that are trying to keep us safe in some way. And when we get to know them, perhaps through journaling or conversation or with an IFS coach or therapist, we, we, we can really um, help them to soften a little bit and, and become, um, become part of our inner team. Yeah, I agree because they're the the inner critic is the one that's kind of kind of going to question you, um, and those questions could be really challenging, but may lead to somewhere better. So exactly. I totally agree with that. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I really appreciate all that you shared. I know for sure that your stories and your practices are going to be enormously valuable for so many listeners, and I hope that to continue the conversation with you in the future. Me too. And thanks for the opportunity to speak with you again. It was so nice to see you. You're so welcome, Nancy. By being true to our deepest selves, we liberate our highest potential and serve the greatest good. As the founder of the Centre for Self-Fidelity, I am on a mission to help leaders feel more authentically empowered so we can co-create workspaces where people can thrive, perform, play and belong. Learn more at selffidelity.com.